awesome. Jesus, that was good. Can we turn, y'all need the lights up in here or are you good? Do I? Yeah, I just, huh? You can't read your Bible, that's right. So let's turn it up just a little bit, the lights, please. I know it's nice in here. I'm reading off my iPad, so I, I've got the little light shining on my face. Let the light of your face shine down on my heart and let me feel it. Let the light of your face shine down on my heart and let me feel it. Oh, Lord, bless me and keep me cause your face shine on me. Oh, be gracious. Lift the light of your countenance and give me peace. For I live only to see your face. So shine on me. For I live only to see your face, so shine on me. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Shine the light of your countenance upon us, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We ask you just to increase your glory, increase your presence. Spirit of revelation, we honor you. Spirit of wisdom and counsel and my knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Release your presence, we pray. Sevenfold spirit of God. We bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Or I'm going to jump right in. It's noon. I didn't even realize, man, that was beautiful. I was so at home. Didn't y'all just feel at home? Love it. It felt good in here. It does feel good. Okay, go to Luke 10. We're going to jump right in. Last night we were in Luke 11. I, I, I want to start in Luke 10, 38. And I, I feel like this weekend is important for where we're going. And, and uh, I know the Lord's wanting to take us deeper. And he's unifying us and he's wanting to take us deeper. So I, usually... When, the, when I know that, the Lord's just given me a lot of clarity on the messages I'm to bring, just to deepen what God's doing, to get everybody on the same page and all that. So I, people ask me all the time, outside of Jesus, of course, who is the most impactful person in the Bible to you? Who has impacted your life, your ministry, your philosophy on ministry and everything else? And I would say, without a doubt, it would be Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, this little girl just outside of Jerusalem, about a two, two miles away, we only see her three times in Scripture. But every time we see her, she's at Jesus' feet. She only said one phrase in the Bible. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But every time we see her, Jesus is fighting her battles. Jesus is defending her. And Jesus is calling us to emulate her. And I want to look at the three pictures of Mary this morning, or, you know, morning for three more minutes. <clears throat> I want to look at this little girl because I believe it's the progression of how God raises up an intercessor, of how God raises up what intercession looks like. And... Um, Let's look at a familiar story right here. The first one you've probably heard a thousand times, and, uh, but I want to give some different spins on it that I believe is really important, okay? Let's read it, and then I'll give my thoughts on it. Verse 38, now it happened as they entered a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet 
and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So she approached Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get off her lazy behind and help me. (laughs) Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, probably did it with a smile. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. A lot of people will reduce this story to Mary versus Martha, and I don't think that's right. I'm grateful for Martha. If it wasn't for Martha, nobody would have sandwiches or green rooms or water or anything. We'd just all be sitting around crying. I'm grateful to God for lunches and waters and breath mints and hotels and cars to and from. I'm grateful for that stuff. It's not about Mary versus Martha. It's about Mary before Martha. And every true Mary, I believe, will become a true Martha. Because it's when you sit long enough, you get pregnant with the things of God's heart, and they become the will of God that you manifest in your life. Intimacy will always get you to work. But the reward is Mary's reward. It's the voice that comes out of his mouth. It really comes down to this, where do you get your reward? Do you get it from what he says over you, or do you get it by what you do for him? Because if you get it by what you do for him, hear me, you'll always feel like you're getting the short end of the stick and that Jesus never sees you, values you, and pays you based on how hard you work for him. She is a courageous soul. Mary is a revolutionary, a box breaker. She's a, a, she breaks protocols. She breaks systems. She breaks what's expected. She refuses to get caught in the tyranny of what her role is. And she had a higher value for who was in her house. Who is in my house? The Son of God is in my house. And I refuse to miss the glory of the moment. And she swims upstream against all of Martha's eyes, all of Martha's judgments, and all of the social things she's supposed to do. And she dove to his feet. She lifted her head, closed her mouth, and opened her heart to hear the words coming out of his mouth. If there's anything we need in what God is wanting to build, this house of prayer, this praying community, and your praying community is the courage to sit a little longer, linger a little longer, and to have an open hearing heart instead of you doing all the talking. I said it last night, prayer doesn't begin with you talking, but you looking. I'm going to say this morning, prayer doesn't begin with you talking, but you listening. (laughs) She sat at his feet and she heard his word. She heard his word. Look at the four adjectives that describe Martha. Distracted. Much serving, worried, and anxious. Worried and troubled. Distracted, much serving, worried and troubled. The swirl around Jesus is what is destroying many believers. The activity around Jesus, this didn't happen at the bar. This happened in the house around Jesus. And I believe there are so many people that are swirling around Jesus and who are not encountering Jesus. I've found that the devil will let us do a lot. He'll let us build big this, have big that, do a lot of activity 
But if you want to put hell on notice, sit down, shut up, and let him talk. And let him fight your battles for you. Let him defend you. Let him silence the people that say, you need to get busy. I tell you, if you sit long enough, you're going to get busy, but it's going to be in his timing and in his way, and you're not going to be defined by it. You're going to be defined by him. This is the first heart test, and many believers never learn it. They live by the tyranny of the urgent, and they swirl around Jesus, but they actually never encounter Jesus. Learn the glory of the moment. Build a place. Build a time and prioritize it because I've found that the person who will not get off of their feet, get off of their knees, get off of uh, listening to him, those are the ones that unnerve Satan. He will let us do a lot, but if you want to put hell on notice, sit down, shut up, and listen and watch what happens. Again, this is what happens if you don't get your identity by what he says over you. You'll get busy, and then you'll always feel like you're getting the short end of the stick. Have you ever put in your dues for Jesus? And you'll always say, oh, it's for you. But there always comes a, I'm ready to get paid notice for what I do. And no, nobody will ever say that because we got too much Christianese guarding our heart from that. What it will look like is agitation. It'll look like, why have I been passed over five times for that position? Why am nobody noticing me? Look at how hard I've worked. And we'll use language like that. If your agitation with someone else's promotion, it's because you never got your identity in what he says over you. And you'll always know you're a Martha when all you can see is a Mary. <laughs> All right. Martha, honey, I love you. But worry, anxiety, and swirl is what governs your life. There is one thing that is needed. Listen, listen, I want to say this to you with utmost sobriety. There is one thing needed. If you get this right, it will set a trajectory for 10 other things in your life to align. If you don't get this one thing right, it will take you in a trajectory that will get you far from God instead of towards God. Win the glory of the moment. Okay? Go to John 11. The glory of the moment. Building a life of waiting on him. I started feeling that spirit of prayer in here this morning. That spirit of devotion. Y'all feel that? The sense of, when I say coming home, I'm talking about where I can close my eyes and be with him. There's a lot of atmospheres that I can't do that. It's so frenzied. So much soul. So much excitement. But we came, I felt I came home this morning. I feel like I came into that rest, that place of abiding in him. Oh, that's beautiful. You want to cultivate that. You want to build a landing strip on your life to cultivate that place. You want to build it up, the Bible, tongues, silence, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, long and loving devotion, long and loving meditation, whispering Bible verses back to Jesus. Whispering phrases back to Jesus. I love you. You are beautiful. You are the vine. And letting phrases marinate in your spirit. Letting phrases just bounce off the wall of your interior life. And you just be with him. He's the reward. Well, if you don't learn lesson one of the days when it's easy... You're not going to navigate when crisis and those midnight knocks come to the door of your life because you'll always revert back 
if the swirl owns you with a 2.0 on the treadmill, it's going to destroy you when 8.0s come. And now we're going to have the crisis season. John 11, their brother Lazarus is getting sick on the door of death. Let's read this together, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. I love this phrase. It was that Mary. Everybody say, that Mary. And so what John's going to do is he's going to introduce us to something Mary's going to do in the next chapter. But we haven't read it yet. And so what John's doing is he's connecting John 11 with John 12. Let me break it down for you. Whatever Mary's going to cultivate and, and acquire in John 11 is going to be used in John 12. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Where do you get oil? In crushing. Where do you get oil? In the crushing. And they're going to send an email. They're going to send a letter to Jesus. And they're going to say this phrase, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. We know Jesus loves everybody, but he really loved these guys. He loved them. Everybody say he loved them. And he liked them. Do you know how many times Jesus retreated to Bethany because Jerusalem was so toxic? Jesus couldn't stand. The toxicity of Jerusalem was so chaotic to his soul, he many times retreated to Bethany because of the refreshment he got from this family. He loved them. We all know those people, the people that exhaust us and the people that refresh us. We know that. Jesus knew that. Saying, I love it, but I need a day and a half to prepare for this dinner. <laughs> I love them. They got good hearts, but they wear me out. How about the Son of God? He goes, you know what? I am just, I'm exhausted. <laughs> they understood. They send him a letter. He whom you love is sick. Jesus makes one of the most glorious, faith-filled statements, definitive statements in all the Word of God. He declares it from the beginning. This sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus tells us what's going to happen from the beginning. Look at the next verse. Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary, and loved Lazarus. So if you didn't have a Bible, you would say, so he translates to Bethany, lays his hand on Lazarus, Lazarus gets up and they have a dance party. It says he loved them, so when he had heard he was sick, he stayed two more days where he was at. What is this? Jesus knows that him staying means Lazarus dying. And you have to ask yourself a question, why didn't Jesus immediately break in and resolve the issue for the ones he loved? And then you have to ask yourself another question, why does Jesus do this to the ones he loves? And you have to ask yourself, he broke in immediately for Roman centurions. He broke in immediately for sinners. He broke in immediately for Pharisees. He broke in immediately for other people, but the ones he loved, he let him die. And it brings you into Jesus, who are you? Why do you do this to your friends? And it's in this furnace. They know he got the letter. 
They know he could have responded in enough time to fix the situation, and yet he didn't. And in that furnace comes two types of responses that you're going to see manifested within Martha and Mary. And all of us are going to fall into these two categories, and we might vacillate between the two. What happens when Jesus is four days late? All right, go ahead and go down with me to verse 17. Those four days had to be tormenting. It's in the four days that all kinds of things and lies and accusations start rising to the surface. And we're going to see two types of responses that manifest in these types of seasons. So when Jesus came, he had found that he had already been in the tomb four days. It was only about a two-mile walk. Okay? Look at verse 20, uh, verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, I love that phrase, as soon as. She went and she met him, but look at Mary. She was sitting in the house. I just picture it like this. Martha's just doing this. Where's he at? I know he got the letter. I know he could have broken it. He was right down the road. It was a two-mile walk. All he had to do was get here. He would have resolved this situation, and here's our brother. He's dead now, and he's been dead four days. Pacing, pacing. Mary's sitting. She's stressed. She's sitting, and as soon as they hear that Jesus has come, bang, she takes off. She immediately takes off, and she's going to give it to Jesus, and she's going to ask a question. It sounds nice, but it's actually accusatory in nature. Now Martha comes to Jesus, and she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, she's going to enter in to faith-filled Martha. That sounds faith-filled, but it's actually masquerading unbelief. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That sounds awesome. Jesus looked at her right in the face, stone cold, and he goes, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. Everybody say, I know. When someone says they know, they don't. When someone gets their bumper stickers out, their T-shirts, And start, I love it. I love faith-filled declarations. I love positive professions. But I think he's looking for something deeper here than nice, polished, articulate Christianese praying. He's asking the question, will you let this moment cut you? I'm looking for something deeper from you, and I don't want you hiding behind your Bible verses. I want this thing to cut you here and I don't want you to ask me to ask God. I'm trying to pull you into the storyline where you ask him. I want to pull you in, and I don't want you protecting your heart. He says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, your brother will rise. I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. She has right theology. She has right revelation. She believes in the resurrection of the dead. Someday, he looks her right in the face, and he goes, honey, the resurrection is today. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just coming, it's here, because it is a he, and he is me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. That's awesome. She hits a wall. And the wall is, I'm not getting anywhere. We're having theological discussions. And I don't know what to do with uncharted territory 
All I got are buzzwords, phrases, and I don't have history with him. I don't know him. I don't know what else to say to my three list of prayers. And I don't know how to feel the moment other than my frustration over him that he didn't break in. She hits a wall, and look at this. She goes back into the city, and she went her way, and she secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come, and he's calling for you. We don't see Jesus ask for Mary, do we? She hit a wall, and she goes, I don't, I don't know how to navigate these waters, which means I need to go back to Luke 10 and learn something. She comes to Mary, and he says, he's looking for you. Look at verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. Look at this. She fell down at his feet. Everybody says she's at his feet again. <laughs> she's sitting, she runs, and then she falls down again. And we're going to find out here in a little bit, she has tears coming down her eyes. Martha says it face to face. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's going to say the exact same phrase, but she's going to say it from down here. And she's going to say it with tears in her eyes. And she's going to say, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Isn't it amazing how you can say the exact same phrase but have two different postures that provoke two different responses? She's going to be weeping and she's going to say, Lord, if you'd have been here, which means this, I don't get it. I don't understand. I know who you are. I know what you can do. But why didn't you do it? See, I believe that's the power of the Marys, the ones who refuse to get out of the tension. We hate tension. That's the crisis of faith is when there's tension. I know who you are, but you haven't broken in on my marriage yet. You haven't broken in for my child that we raised in the things of God and has ran far from you. I don't understand it. Why haven't you moved when you said you were going to move? He's not looking for a sterile, polished, you putting on your perfect face. He wants the moment to cut you. He wants to awaken something deeper within you than you living at a distance in case you're afraid of losing your faith. No, that's the beauty of faith. It's relational and it's transactional. I don't get it because I know you. That's intercession. I know you. He likes that stuff. Because we're not robots. We're people. In re and this is the thing that blows me away. Why didn't Jesus just translate to the resurrection of Lazarus? He knew what he was going to do. What is it about the valley of tears and the process that he would not bypass, but he showed up there to look forward to bring a people up with him. Some of you got storylines similar. What do you do in that valley? It says this, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her, her weeping, look at this, he groaned in the spirit. I don't know about you. I want to awaken a groan in God. I want to awaken a groan in God. I want to stir his bowels. I want to stir the bowels of his compassion. I want to awaken the warrior in God. I want to awaken the deliverer. I want to awaken the judge. I want to awaken the mighty warrior. 
I want to awaken his compassion. And this is the thing I want to say to all of you. You can. But I found this. Your ability to overcome him is related to him overcoming you. <laughs> he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And, he, and now he says, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then we're going to see the longest verse in the Bible. I'm serious. I, I think it was about 30 minutes. Have you ever in a room or a crowd of people groaned and heaved and wept and sobbed and travailed and screamed as a storm comes out of your eyes? Most of us will do that in front of one most of the time it's alone, sometimes with one, others maybe two. He did it surrounded by critics, by skeptics, by strangers, by Pharisees, by disciples, by friends, by ongoers, surrounded by people. The Son of God had a storm come out of his soul as he began to weep and heave and sob and weep and heave and sob and he cried. The vulnerable God wept. Is that is profound. What does it tell us about him? He got into the valley of tears. People ask, what was he weeping over? I think they were tears. There were tears, lots of tears. I think there were tears of anger. You ever been so angry you cry? He was angry because do you understand that the resurrection of Lazarus was going to begin the final straw that began the plotting of his death. This was the final straw. They tried to kill Lazarus to do away with this story. This story wrecked the whole boat and it caused all the demons to manifest. And Jesus was crying tears of anger. He was crying tears of deep compassion for his friends in their darkest hour. It was tears of great love for them. It was tears of Jesus' hatred of death and what it does. He hates death. He is he's about to abolish death here. He abolished it through his resurrection. And we know ultimately that final enemy, death, will be destroyed forever. He hates death. He hates death. That's why he's the resurrection and the life. That last enemy will be done away with forever. <laughs> Jesus. He's crying, he's crying, and all you got to do is watch him and ask why. This won't end in death. This is going to end for the glory of God. Why are you weeping then? Why are you weeping then? What is weeping that's connected to the final chapter of the story. He wept and 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 he sobbed. For years I thought it was a slip of a tear. I thought it was, ah, how'd that happen? Like a Hallmark movie slipped up on you. <laughs> how'd that get there? I don't watch it, but... It happened once, I think, around Christmas or something. <laughs> no, no. A storm came out of him. <sighs> All right. I, I read an old thing by Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher. He said, I spend most of my time mostly mad at whoever divided up the chapters and the verses of the Bible. 
because I get it wrong all the time. He says, but I forgive him a whole bunch for getting that verse right, letting it stand alone. Letting it stand alone, Jesus wept. <laughs> he goes, I forgive him almost everything that he done wrong for getting that verse right. All right. Jesus cried long enough for people to give commentary on why they thought he was crying. One guy says, man, he loves Lazarus. The other guy goes, why didn't he get here earlier? Look at verse 38. Jesus again groaning in himself. What does that look like? <sighs> He's groaning within himself. Do you know about the groan? Do you know about the groan? You know the deep guttural ache of your spirit, the stirring of your spirit, the agitation of your spirit? Do you know that deep guttural groan? on the inside of you. This is the bowels from where resurrection flows. Jesus groaning, he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. See, I want you to know, in this hour, he's calling forth Mary's. See, what I believe happened is that Mary did Luke 10 and she let his words go to her deep. That in the hour of her crisis, her deep called out to his deep, and she pulled a resurrection out of him. I believe she stirred his bowels. He's groaning. He's coming up from the weeping room. He's wiping away tears. He's groaning within his spirit. Take away the stone. I'm here to declare to many of you today, the Lord's looking for Mary's. He wants this thing to cut you deeper so you can cut him deeper. But this is the season, I believe, where God is saying over that situation, over that marriage, over that child, over those finances, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Remove, get ready, position yourself for resurrection. Now we're going to get to see faith-filled Martha. Martha said, Jesus, come on, let's get practical. He stinks. Remember faith-filled Martha? Lord, you can ask anything. He'll do it for you. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Release it. She was waving banners. She was blowing shafars. She released the war dance. She knew it all. But Jesus says, take away the stone. Okay, Jesus, time out, time out. Let's get practical. Jesus says, Don't, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. <laughs> Do you believe God hears you? No, do you believe you have the open ear of heaven over your life? He's not just in the room. He's an engaged ear. <laughs> That's a secret to your prayer life right there. We're all used to disengaged dad, busy with ten things. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. A man who had been dead for four days. When did that stop shocking us? Go with me to Mark 14. I could do the same story in John 12, but I like Mark's rendition. There's a couple of added things he adds that I just really like. Last night I talked about 
midnight knocks at the door of your life. Who in here knows about the four days late seasons? If you've been walking with him long enough, you know it. And the fact you're still in this room tells me you've let it cut you and make you more tender and work a depth in you. You didn't get bitter. You didn't get weird. You didn't disengage your heart. You got weird, but you got good weird. There's a good weird. You didn't get bitter weird. Look at verse 3. This would have been about the Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus has to retreat to Bethany because it's getting crazy in Jerusalem. This is what you do with the oil that gets produced in death seasons. In being in Bethany at the house, I'm in verse 3. Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. Talk about someone breaking protocol. I mean, think about that table. You got Simon the leper. I mean, I guess this guy used to be a leper. Now he's healed. You got, we know from John 12, Lazarus is around the table. I mean, talk about a great dinner. Lazarus, what were those four days like, man? What was it like to be dead? What'd you feel? (laughs) Then you got Simon the leper there. And she goes, once again, grateful for the Lazarus resurrection, grateful for Simon the leper getting healed. But Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. She takes an alabaster flask of very costly oil, $30,000. We're not talking about a little cologne, $30,000. It would have most likely been her inheritance from her parents. Which everything that speaks of future stability, security, and comfort, and taking care of her. And she understood the glory of the moment. It's not just the glory of the man. It's the glory of the moment. She knew he's about to do something. He's come to give his life, and she's going to fully enter in. She breaks into the room. First, no, no. A woman comes. Second, no, no. Third, no, no. She breaks the alabaster flask, and she begins to pour it all over his head. She interrupts the room, breaks the protocol, steals the attention, and puts all eyes on that man. She poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant. We know that these were the disciples, specifically Judas, because he's taking care of the money, and he's stealing from the money bag, and this could have been a lot of money. But all the disciples are looking at what she did, and they call it a waste. They look at extravagant devotion, and they call it a waste. They look at extravagant generosity, and they call it a waste. And Jesus lets them take their best shots at her. And then he fights her battles. He's going to fight her battles. She don't say anything. She just did something. And she let him fight her battles. And then Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? What is it, Peter, that she just did that's causing you to manifest? Why are you manifesting? Is it? The political spirit so gotten a hold of you. You're trying to see who's going to sit at my right and my left and what position you're going to have once I overtake Rome. And 
we usher in the messianic kingdom, and you're going to be my boy. You guys are fighting over little scrappings, and she's preparing me for why I'm coming. She has done a good work for me. Jesus called that act work. He goes, guys, you always got the poor. You don't always have me. And here's the phrase. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand. There's the key phrase. Everybody say beforehand. Beforehand. Say it again. Say beforehand. beforehand. Which means she's operating in a forerunner spirit. To anoint my body for burial. Surely I say, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Do you know this will be the last time we hear of Mary of Bethany in Scripture? She'll fade into the backdrop as three days later Jesus hangs on a cross and most likely is still smelling that fragrant oil on his body. The book of Acts will ensue. The glory of God will touch Jerusalem. People will give a lot more money than what she gave. She never had an apostolic ministry, never had a healing stadium ministry. We never hear of her again, yet there's something about doing it before it's cool and seeing him before anybody else does. It's like she bought stock. She bought Apple stock in 1981 and bought a million shares of it. She invested her whole life into something that nobody else saw. And that's why What she has done will live forever. Do you know that there are real acts in real time and space that live forever in eternity? There's sacrificial gifts. There's sacrificial investments. Laboring in intercession. Laboring in a life that nobody else sees, but that lives forever. He looks at Peter, James, and John says, you guys are going to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. You guys are going to be awesome. But after you preach the gospel, will you tell this story? Because this is the clearest picture of what a life looks like that's been touched by the gospel. They give it all. None of those disciples could get it through their heads that Jesus was going to die. She not only got it, she prepared him for it. You know why I believe? Because she just saw her brother get raised from the dead. She believed in the resurrection of the dead. She had a deep living story of watching God resurrect dead things, of God resurrect. I believe with all my heart the spirit that God is wanting to root and ground in the praying culture of New Hampshire, Massachusetts, of New England is the the Mary of Bethany spirit, is a life of sitting at his feet and learning how to come out of the swirl of impact, coming out of the swirl of making a mark, coming out of the swirl of conquering the world and letting his words conquer your heart. Fighting through brother that and sister this who are judging you and saying, do something with your life. And you're like, I am. And in time, wisdom will be justified. I believe he's going to entrust apostolic strategies, apostolic mission, 
apostolic government to ones who prioritize life at his feet. The church of Antioch ministered to the Lord with prayer and fasting. And as they ministered, apostolic commissionings were released. Set apart unto me Saul and Barnabas. We got to rediscover ministry to God. It's been lost. We have sacrificed everything for impact and for meeting the thousand needs and coming underneath the demand of everybody else. But there's going to be a generation that's going to arise. We're here for him. I'm not here for you. I'm not here for little Timmy in the child care. But we need that. But it's second. We're in the middle of a transition in the earth. I believe there's definitely probably 20 aspects of what happened in 2020 and beyond and what's going on even now. But I believe one of them is God's pushed a hard reset. It's been a hard reset. You know, my iPhone acts up from time to time, and you got your soft reset, then you got a hard reset. God just pulled a hard reset on the whole machine called church. And there will be many that don't reemerge. And the ones that do will be the ones that prioritize ministry to God as the primary and first ministry of their church, of their ministry, of their lives. It's a distinguishing moment of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. It's going to be shaky. It's going to be a lot of redistribution. Big churches will be empty. As we see a shift for ones who have been wise virgins for the last season, you're going to get big buildings for pennies on the dollar. God, because God's jealous. He's jealous for his house. He's jealous. He goes, where are my Marys? Where are the ones? I love it that Mary didn't go over there and anoint Simon the leper. Most people want to sit and talk about Lazarus' death and turn that into a new book deal. They want to go on the Lazarus tour. And she goes, he's in my house. He's in my house. We are in a great transition in the body of Christ. This next decade will be like the roaring 20s of 100 years ago. It's going to be a dramatic lot of shifting and transition. And I believe that the spirit of Mary of Bethany is what God is going to emphasize in this next decade. It's what he's going to entrust his holy things to. Thank you, God. It's about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, it's about to go global like we've never seen it. This is about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit across the globe, the release of the Mary of Bethany spirit. It's going to be missionaries marked with sacrificial love. It's going to be missionaries marked with ministry to God everywhere. It's going to be about the salvation of Israel, the return of Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Ele bo shoto yo rebesata ya rebesata ya rebakaye. 
What do you guys think? I just gave you a big old porterhouse. <laughs> I just gave you a big old porterhouse. <laughs> but listen, some of you need to go back to Luke 10 and learn that lesson. Some of you, your crisis exposed how much you live in the swirl. And the Lord's saying, you need to go back and learn the glory of coming out of the swirl. Some of you got to get your heart back. Some of you have come through crisis and you don't know where your heart's at. The Lord says, I want to bring you back to that overflowing tenderness. I want you to trust me again. I want you to be tender with me again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Mary was mostly defined by what she did, not what she said. Release your fire, I pray, Holy Spirit. We love you. Take us deeper, Jesus. I've been hearing him say, I'm taking y'all deeper this weekend. I'm taking y'all deeper this weekend. It's, it's going to awaken the groans and the travail and the tears. I've been talking about tears, tongues, and travail. We're moving to prayer on the other side of words. We're leaving the train station of well-polished, articulate praying. And ugly praying is coming to the church. Mascara is going to be flowing. Hair is going to be out of joint. See, that is one of the most painful things. I talk about this in Gift of Tears. One of the most painful verses is the, the priest Eli looked at Hannah. It says she was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving. No words were coming out. And it had been so long since the current leadership had seen the spirit of prayer, they thought she was drunk. We're going to recover the spirit of prayer in the church. The spirit of prayer in the church. Fire. Let's just stand. Let's ask him. Hey. 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 Hallelujah. Let it just tenderize you. The tears tenderize. The tears tenderize. The tears bring you. It's taking us deeper. You're like, what's he doing? It's just, it's just Holy Spirit within me. I, the Lord has been speaking, Hosea 10, verse 12, break up your fallow ground. And, I, and the Lord said, I got three T's for the church in, in breaking up ground. It's tears that tenderize, tongues that till the ground, and travail that tears the ground. That travail of the Holy Spirit, that birthings, Season is going to come upon us. That spirit of birthing. Just lightly pray in the spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Tears, tongues, travail. 
Raise up the Hannahs, Jesus. Raise up Hannahs. Hannah's intercession broke the prophetic silence off a generation. It restored priesthood. It restored prophetic. Which sets the stage for the anointing of the kingdom. Fire, 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 fire. Salabataye. <laughs> 